1: All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the State of America podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ian Rice, and with me, as always, Mr. David Hudson. David, how are you, sir? Ian, I'm howling life. What about yourself? I am uh, the same, my friend. I'm the same.
2: When uh, when this comes out, I'm going to be at about 11,000 feet on the side of a mountain in, in Colorado and hope I don't kill myself biking.
1: Biking and listening to Bruce Springsteen, I imagine.
2: Uh... Colorado's, I'm more of a widespread panic state of mind. I'm in Colorado.
1: Maybe slip in a little John Denver. You know what I mean? No, no. (laughs) A little
2: widespread panic. Maybe some Grateful Dead.
1: All right. Well, it's, it's been a minute, but, uh. Nothing's,
2: nothing's happened. Nothing's going on. Not at
1: all. I mean, nothing to cover at all. I mean, uh, you know, new drummer, nothing big. Interesting. Is this uh, the third drummer in the, uh, course of three years. So. The new drummer being a gentleman named Cully Symington, who I don't know much of his uh, background. but Looks uh, like
2: he's done a lot of, he's out, I think he's out of Austin, Texas. Looks like he's done a lot of stuff with some alternative bands. I saw he toured for a while with Afghan Wigs.
1: Yeah, he did have an accomplished resume. I just wasn't as familiar with some of the, the groups he had worked with. But, uh, you know, seems to be a, a step in the right direction again. He seems to, I mean, he's only played a limited number of shows at this point, but seems to be fitting in. That festival that Sean Hillman and Justin Kahn and all those guys went to outside of
2: St. Louis was his first performance. And then as we record this, they just played last night, first show with Aerosmith. So uh, I'd give him a little time to get settled in. I
1: know a lot of people weren't necessarily happy with the drumming style of uh, Mr. Griffin. You know, I think he did an admirable job in the role, tried his best. But, uh, you know, if uh, sometimes the things aren't working out. You got to reconfigure a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, you know, Chad Smith wouldn't fit in in the Black rose. No, it's you know? it's and and Chad Smith's an amazing drummer and by all accounts Brian Griffin is a very accomplished session guy. It doesn't have anything to do with whether somebody's good or
1: not, you know. No, I mean as essential as Mark Ford is, I would think that the Steve Gorman role is even harder to fill. I mean that guy is so distinctive in his style and and was with the band from yeah. the beginning, so everything has his style on it. You know.
2: Well, I mean we'd agree Zach Wilde's an amazing guitar player, right? Yeah it was a train wreck when he was with all brothers.
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, as much as it's been affinity as Zach Wilde has for Southern rock, he just, I think that was a combination of, uh, you know, his style was a little different and the excitement level that he had being able to play with the old brothers. Oh, I know. I'm
2: sure he was geeked up, which probably doesn't take much to get him geeked up. You know, it's interesting. I couldn't believe so many people did not know that he played with them for a show. I got yeah. a lot of messages, people saying, Hey, I didn't know anything about that. I thought that was kind of common knowledge.
1: Yeah, I thought it was kind of universally out there. I mean, especially amongst people that follow the Olin brothers. I mean, it was, you know, thirty years ago, ninety three, I think it was. Um but uh yeah, it was kind of one of those odd moments that you think would stand out in a band's lore, you know what I mean?
2: Be like you go see the black crows and they're like, uh, filling in for Mark Ford tonight, Steve Vai. And that would be a that would be a that'd be a train wreck.
1: It would be, but it'd be an interesting one, I think.
2: I mean, I'd pay to see it, but Yeah, you know
1: be like driving past a car wreck. (laughs) You just can't take your eyes off it, you know? Right. But so it's encouraging, you know, new drummer, of course, you know, Nico joined the fold not too long ago, and that's a major step in the right direction. That guy's playing and his love for the material is just, uh, you know, I think that's one of the best moves they've ever made.
2: Look on that side of the stage, you got two of the nicest people we've ever dealt with. Sven and Nico. So, um, I couldn't be happier for those two guys. I mean, 're they're, they're just as nice and genuine human beings as you're as you're going to come
1: around. I'll be honest with you, David. A large part of my joy from the Black Crows now comes from knowing that those two are playing on the same side of the stage and enjoying themselves and you know contributing to the music so much. I mean, really, a large part of what drives me to go to shows these days is those two.
2: yeah, when I saw them in Florida, they're just smiling the whole time. It just makes you happy, yeah. I mean, and not to mention not to mention Nico's a monster on the guitar and, and and Sven is great on bass and is so underrated as a vocalist.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, you know, for a a lineup that's been ever changing, they have really settled into something that seems to be working at this point.
2: I agree. I completely agree.
1: Now to move on to something that maybe might not necessarily be working for everybody. We got to talk about the announcement of the Southern harmony and musical companion box set. That came this past week.
2: Yeah, that announcement came what Friday morning, I think. Um, I was on my way to work, and my text blew up, and I'm like, "What's going on?" And I saw something said Southern Harmony box set. I said, "Ooh, it's finally coming out. We've been asking for it." And so uh, I pulled it up and looked it over, and I'm gonna get it because I'm a completist and an archivist, uh, and I get everything. And it does have high uh, the high in Houston show on there that we've both been asking for, and I've wanted uh, you know, mastered version on vinyl for a long time, but it's only the Southern harmony songs. I don't know if that was done to save money as far as like not making an, another LP or they just wanted to highlight those songs, but I really liked the way they played those moneymaker songs on that tour. So I would like to have that. And then, you get a re another remaster of the original album. And then there's some like photos and stuff in there. And then um, I think the kind of point of contention with people is the quote unquote rare unreleased and B sides album.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, bittersweet announcement. I think a large part of it comes from, I was thinking about it. The fact that in interviews, uh, both Chris and Rich have, have alluded to the fact that they had this, you know, abundance of material to go through. So, When you then receive the contents of this set and you see that the rare material uh, consists of a lot of things that, you know, most of the longtime fans have on singles and, and so forth. And really, the only unreleased track is Miserable. Which is a great one to get. It is, absolutely. But, you know, there's other things from that era that were left off. I mean, even things that were on singles was left off. It just seems a little unfulfilled, maybe. In that category for the unreleased stuff and uh, like as you mentioned it would have been nice to have the the entire high in houston recording because again as you said the material from shake your money maker was performed really well on that tour and just that that show as a complete show has been a favorite in the bootleg trading scene for many many years and it would be nice to have that done properly i mean that being said i'm sure the abbreviated version will sound great and 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 be a nice thing to have, but it's, you know, it's kind of again bittersweet because you're you're not getting the full thing. It really, to me, it boils down to who are you catering to? Yeah, the the set doesn't seem to be designed with the longtime fans in mind. And really, if you're going to put out something that's a super deluxe version that's going to have four LPs and all this stuff and is going to carry a you know 180, two hundred dollar price tag. The people that are gonna buy that are your longtime fans. You know, it's not really something of that price tag and that magnitude is not suited to the casual fan. Those people will buy the remastered record probably. Uh after yeah, especially after seeing them on, on tour with the uh the Aerosmith uh finale thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I, I just don't I don't get it.
2: I don't either and in- the thing that people keep coming back to, and I put up a poll on Twitter, are you going to buy the box set or not? I think it was 48% yes and 52% no. Yeah. Now, this is my favorite album of all time. It's not up for discussion. It just is. And I don't know of a single Black Crows fan that it falls any further than number two. You know, We've heard from members of the band. It's their favorite. It's their favorite record. The album was number one. I mean, this isn't something that only sold a few hundred thousand copies. Remedy was everywhere. They opened the MTV Music Awards. You know, that that was a huge deal. I wish they would let somebody like us in there and pick it out because one of the things that people keep coming back to is the New Orleans recording sessions that have Exit on it. I guarantee you that if if they left it at the box set as is, and put those four or five songs on there, that 52% not going to buying probably drops down to 20% because people want those and a properly mastered version of exit is kind of the Holy grail. Now, was it technically during Southern harmony? No, it was on the tour, but you're releasing a show from the tour. Now they may have plans to release that on a And if they Mm. do, I'm all over it. You know, that would make sense too. But, the $180 price tag and it's essentially the same amount of ter- material i believe that you got on the shake your money maker box set if i'm not mistaken they had a live show some odds and ends and a remastered version and some pictures and stuff like that and for the record i bought a copy you bought a copy and we gave away two or three copies yeah. we're always going to buy this band stuff we're always going to support them they're our favorite band we got, you know my gosh we have between the two of us i guarantee you we've spent $15 or $20,000 on this band Yeah, no doubt. So my frustration is just the fact that. Why not cater to the people that have kept them afloat all these years? You know, it's, it's you and me going to 20 and 30 shows, you know, take off work, you buy a plane ticket, you get a hotel room. Nothing is cheap these days. I've seen three or four of these reunion shows. If they're within any way I can get
1: there, I'm going to go see them throw us a bone. I, I would agree. I feel like there needs to be more of a balance i'm not saying in any way that you should not try to market to these new casual people that you, you were trying to pick up with the shake your money maker anniversary thing and you know playing more festivals now doing the the uh you know the intro slot on the uh peace out Aerosmith tour like that's all putting you to a market that maybe necessarily wasn't all in on you prior and i get marketing to those people but you also have to balance it with marketing to your longtime fans that are still there supporting you. And it just doesn't make sense to me that you wouldn't tailor a box set like this to those people because that's who's going to buy it, the longtime fans. And I agree with you 100%, David. If those New Orleans sessions were on there, I would pay $180 for that alone. I mean, the only thing I hold out hope for, like you mentioned, is that because that was kind of an in-between thing, maybe that gets put onto the Amorica box set if and when that comes about
2: well and i think one of the reasons we got southern harmony i think that shake your money maker box set sold pretty well and it was a good i thought it was a good value for what you got and so if the plan is to do an amorical which the amorical one they could make amazing because there's multiple versions of a lot of those songs from tall sessions that that we could have that to be mastered and, and put on there and you could have those new orleans sessions but you know, we bought a signed box, one of the signed boxes. We're going to give that away on Patreon. I'm buying a box. I know Ian's buying a box, but I, I can't come on here and say I wasn't disappointed.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just a lot of things left out. Now, looking it over, I mean, obviously I don't have one of my hands yet, but looking over what's in it, it's it's nicely done. I mean, it's kind of cool that there's a reproduction of that hymnal book. Yeah. That was yeah, a long cool. sought after collectible i mean which i have an original of that and you know i know quite a few people have that but you know for those that weren't able to get one ever that's nice to have that i mean you know the photos and and extra things it's nicely done just as the shake your money maker set was nicely done but when you get right down to the main content I said it before it just needs to be more tailored to the uh to the longtime fans on this one
2: Yep. Like I said, we're going to give away a signed box set on Patreon. And speaking of Patreon, Nigel Price joined us recently. I want to thank him for
1: coming on. Yes, yes. Welcome. And uh, by the way, uh, signed means by Chris and Rich Robinson, not by us or anything like that. (laughs) Just so you know who that set's going to be signed by. Yeah, so
2: we'll get that out once it comes in on Patreon.
1: A lot of the Patreon content's going to pick up for the fall. We're going to have a few more things in store. You know, summertime's kept us both uh, running a little ragged these days. But, uh, you know, we got some exciting bonus content coming and, and all kinds of things. And we appreciate everybody joining us on the Patreon. If anybody is interested in joining up or even just going and checking out, see what it's all about. You can visit patreon.com slash state of America And uh, we'd love to have you come by. We really think it's a uh, good value for the money.
2: Yeah, you'll get your money back.
1: And that's pretty much it uh, from the uh, news and events standpoint. But we are going to go over to. A very, very interesting conversation that, unfortunately, I wasn't a part of due to some scheduling issues, but that David conducted with uh, Brent Rademacher from Beachwood Sparks, uh, among other projects. Uh, This was a pretty cool conversation you had with him, was it it not, David?
2: Yeah, we had a good time. I want to thank uh, Ryan Alesky, one of our loyal listeners and patrons and all-around good guy. He basically got this thing booked for us. So, want to uh, thank him for doing that. Yeah, we had a really good discussion just about music in general. But there's a little nugget he's going to drop in there. We'll let you pick out what that is.
1: But uh, telling you guys, this one is definitely crow's heavy. So a lot of uh, a lot of fun stuff in here that you're going to enjoy. And uh, David did an excellent job leading this interview with uh, without me present. And uh, you know, I'm uh, by all accounts I'm a little disappointed I wasn't there because this was a great one. Yeah. So
2: as you'll hear, Chris is producing the new Beachwood Sparks album. And also Brent uh is the uh, runs curation records. Uh, follow them on Instagram. They have a lot of, uh, a lot of content coming out. He's also in a band called gospel beach. And uh, there's some Neil Casal talk on here. A lot of black crows talk, a lot of state of the music industry talk. And he talks about some bands on uh curation records. So it's a, it was a, it was a fun, fun, just kind of late night chat with him. He's a, He's a super nice guy, big music guy, has all the respect in the world for Chris and and the Black Crows. And so it was interesting to talk to him.
1: Yeah, and he's definitely, you know, geared up to come back in the future. So, uh, you know, if you enjoy what you hear, please do go support him. Support Curation Records, support Beachwood Sparks, Gospel Beach, and uh, just show him some love. So he'll want to definitely come back and, and join us again. So without further ado, David, let's throw it over to the chat with Brent Rademacher. We'll see you next time, everybody.
0: All
2: right, Brent. First of all, thank you for coming on. I know you're a you're a busy man, and and wanna thank Brian from CRB Base for for helping set this up. And like I telling you just a few minutes ago. We've had numerous people ask to have you on, so I really appreciate you taking out some time on a Saturday night.
3: Oh, it's exciting! What a better night to talk about the uh, Black Rose and Saturday night.
2: <laughs> yeah, as Chris said, they have a lot of Saturday night songs that bleed into Sunday morning. So,
3: <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, they're one of the last, if not the last, great American rock bands, in my opinion. I don't want to, definitely don't want to. Uh, Disrespect anybody out there, but I mean, to me, they really are. I can't think of another one past them. I can think of a lot of them leading up to it.
2: <laughs> it it's it's a band that really didn't rest on their laurels. Kind of like I've really gotten into Bruce Springsteen a lot lately, and kind of like him, he never made the same record twice and went in a direction of out of left field all the time. And you know that that first album is is what it was. It 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 definitely had a lot of Rolling Stones and Faces influences and it kind of makes me mad when people still refer to them as like a faces and, and stones rip off. Cause I mean, first of all, half the rock bands out there have ripped off the rolling stone and the faces, but <laughs> The second it's thing either is the
3: Beatles or the Stones and yeah. they're definitely
2: the Stones. <laughs> and, and the thing is once they got to their second album and third and fourth fifth album like they didn't sound like that. They were their own thing. And So I've always thought it's like lazy music journalism, you know, people like the guy from Maxim magazine that got caught reviewing one of their records hadn't even heard it yet back in the early 2000s. That was a that was a big stink.
3: Oh, yeah. That you sucks. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, they they um they for sure never rested on their laurels when it came to, to putting out new material, but we'll get to them in a second. You're the CEO of curation records.
3: <laughs> CEO. That's pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> I am. Yeah. Curation records is the label that, that uh, me and some friends started, um, right at the end of 2019, right in time for this big old pandy. Yeah. shutdowns shit. Um, but, um, we've been, it's been pretty cool. And, um, you know, since I'm on the Amorica, podcast uh, you know chris has really really been a big supporter um he has of of he's been a big supporter of mine for a, uh, and and me and my friends for a long time and so it was great when curation started to have uh chris right there you know helping us out with the releases
2: you know the first time i ever saw the black crows was in tupelo mississippi and you guys opened So, uh, Beachwood Sparks. So I actually saw you guys before I ever saw the crows. It was my first crow show. I was kind of late to the, that was
3: your first show.
2: Yeah. It's kind of, I I was a fan all throughout the nineties, but I wasn't like a nut. And then something clicked in 1998. And I went from like being a big fan to a nut and so well i was um, gonna
3: say it was probably because beachwood sparks opened that show and that's what made you a huge yeah. fan because we sounded like shit and then when they came out they're like they're so great but i remember that show there is something funny about that show and i'm gonna embarrass myself here okay. but we were on sub pop records which is a pretty cool label out yeah. of seattle i think
2: a little old the- band called nirvana was on that at one time
3: yeah you might have heard of them yeah <laughs> (laughs) uh the the crows i think this was their first album for v for v Mm -hmm. for virgin or Mm -hmm. richard branson whatever it was uh, um lions and um it it was a very weird time i remember that show really well because i always wanted to go to tupelo mississippi and there we were but we actually Beachwood sparks with our with our album which is um this was the album we were supporting this was the one that um chris robinson came to see us at the mercury lounge and professed his love for us, uh, got us way too stoned uh, with <laughs> one of his joints, and we played a shitty show. But he invited us on tour. But that that night in Tupelo, I remember being like, "Oh boy, this is going to be one of those shows" because it was a very big place. Yeah, it was uh, it was hard because it was right around 9/11, and the crowds weren't coming out. But um, the local paper, Beachwood Sparks, had a big article. And with a big picture and the mm-hmm. black crows was a s- lot smaller <laughs> even though we were opening. So that, that, I just remember that show. I was like, hide this, don't let them see this.
2: <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of musical influence came out of that small town. Yeah. With, uh, yeah. With Elvis. Called
3: Elvis Presley.
2: Yeah. He, uh, he definitely changed uh, music for the better. Let's get back to curation records though, because yeah. you guys are kind of the have the copyright on the California cool, as I like to call it. Um, <laughs> you know the 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 cosmic pop country music and and things like that is that something that you purposely got because not all the artists sound like that but but no. a, a lot of them did was that something that you set out to say hey I I like this sound of gospel beach and beachwood sparks and let's get some people to have some common musical influences on this label
3: you know what that's you pretty much getting it right there that was it was it, curation was about uh, this is sounds corny but curating what I have done with with my love of music and my own kind of time as an artist, and, and see if we can you know bring some find some new groups to do to to carry on the sound you know because when Beachwood Sparks came out in the late nineties the, there was there was an Americana thing going on but the cosmic country thing it hadn't had a resurgence like now Graham Parsons is a household name pretty much uh, thanks to bands like Chris and and the Crows and stuff but uh but we like we really loved uh, the Birds, Notorious Bird Brothers, and Sweetheart, of the Rodeo, nineteen sixty eight era. We loved the Flying Burrito Brothers and the Grand Parson stuff, and David Crosby' first solo album, and just the really that West Coast cosmic. Um, Cosmic American Music and uh curation the very first band we signed Pacific Range were like the quintessential band they were they they were in the jam band circuit because they, that's they played a lot and they jammed but you know Chris saw them at um at the chapel in in San Francisco I remember this I have a lot of Chris Robinson quotes but he just grabbed me and said this is the Grateful Dead right there like they, not that they sounded like the Grateful Dead but he's just like that's the Grateful Dead that's a That's a live band
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
3: that can play anywhere and do really well. And, of course, you know, it wasn't a month later because Chris is such a giving person that Pacific Range was opening for Greenleaf Rustlers in uh, Half Moon Bay. And Chris did a big Instagram post about the, the release and the orders came flying in. So... It's like, you know, that it you know, since then, you know, we we've hit this good stride with the band called Uni Boys and done some power pop records and some glam rock records cuz there's just not enough good bands that do the kind of west coast cosmic stuff um but you know, that's that to me that's still the vibe if you look at the artwork and you look think of the aesthetic and you think of me and you hear the new upcoming albums that I worked on with Gospel Beach and Beach with Sparks it's that's the vibe.
2: You know, I feel like Chris really brought a lot of that to the forefront when when he started New Earth Mud, and then especially when he got into, you know, the Chris Robinson Brotherhood, because I went and saw when he was with New Earth Mud, they opened for government mule, I think, at the Gibson Guitar Factory in Memphis. It was a pretty cool place. They uh they played Lazy Days by yeah. the birds. And I yeah. was like, I, I was born in 1976. Obviously, the birds were past their their heyday at that point but i just thought of turn 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 eight miles high and mr tambourine man because my dad eight miles high is one of his favorite songs and so i kind of thought that's what they were and i asked the guy with me i was like what is this? this is awesome he goes man it's the birds it's off like sweetheart of the rodeo and um so he he exposed me to a lot of music and there i can name so many ba- he got me into my morning jacket so many bands that that he's gotten me into and uh, because they used to cover, she got into Graham Parsons. That leads yeah. to the oh. Flying Burrito Brothers. And I feel like the, the scene that you guys have, especially like in Marin County and, and some of that, he really brought it to the forefront when he started the CRB. And you started seeing more and more names of the Howling Rain and stuff like that. Yeah. D- do you think like, he? am I correct in that assumption that he brought a lot I, of attention? I think
3: attention? So, w- not yeah, 100% and not just with the CRB, what with the Crows. He was out to educate and turn on people. Well, educate isn't the right word because he's not a teacher. Uh, he definitely likes to hold court. Um, but, you know, if you're if you listen, you'll you'll learn something. But but he Chris, he uh, he. I think it was always a goal of to to turn people on to what was turning him on. And whether it's new bands or 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 uh, or, or the old bands, the older influences. And yeah, he he was he was hip to all the birds and the burrito brothers and Graham stuff um, beyond the stuff that people thought. I, uh, isn't it great when you discover that the birds, I mean, I love the folk rock era. I love everything uh, up to five D younger than yesterday, they start getting a little more country rock and psychedelic, but it's really great when you discovered that there was more to the birds and you keep going and you find the Chris Hillman solo stuff and they're my favorite band. So it's like, the McGwin solo albums, the mcguinn Clark Hillman, the Gene Clark stuff, which is really they do. Uh, Chris does some. I think they do some Gene Clark covers in the in the Rustlers. But they they that that's that's somebody who who really when you when you get exposed to that, it's really exciting. Whether it's wearing a band shirt or doing a cover or or DJing before there was the internet and playlist, mm-hmm. you know. Chris was always doing that. Um, I remember seeing the Crows uh, for the first time on MTV and going like, whoa, those two brothers, they they seem cool. And then I look, I I couldn't tell the other band. I was like, is it, it," because we were in LA Mm -hmm. inundated with the Sunset Strip. And I was like, is this, is there, is there other member? Are this a little LA Guns-ish? What's going on, you know, with the, like the stretch pants and stuff. But then they quickly... You know, like it was there was no question that they were a real rock and roll band once they started showing up on on tour. And then with the second album, we I was a hardcore. I was an asshole back then. Like I was very militant about what I liked. Yeah. And if it didn't fit into that box, I wasn't going to like it. Right. But they like I was like, oh, well, shit. Remedy. I saw that. I was like, they're, they're fucking great.
2: I feel like when they first came out, the record company didn't know what to do with them because they weren't spoiled- for Count the money. Yeah, but I mean, like they weren't poison, you know. They weren't. Yeah. They weren't like a pop band. They for sure weren't heavy metal. But if you look like that first year or two they were out, they're playing with like Metallica and 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 Skid Row and all this stuff. And I just felt like it's the same now, but it's not as bad in my opinion because there's the internet and you can you can find out more. But I felt like you had to fit in a box, and they're like, okay, they're a guitar oriented band, and you know, the heavy metal and and glam rock stuff is the rock of the day. So they have to be, you know, with that. And obviously they didn't fit that. And if you listen to some of the Mr. Crow's Garden stuff, man, it sounds more like the replacements and early yeah. REM at times. It's very jangly. Well,
3: you, it's true. They like, I always, I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but like, you know, I I'm from Florida. My brother and I started playing music together. We have a very similar trajectories that our dad played music um that chris and rich have and we liked the same bands um freaks for rem and echo and the bunny men and stuff like that but um we did our own thing and and then of course hit the you know hit it big and and made some great music and and got some success but uh I'm, i'm just trying to like make sense of what you're saying about how people were trying to pigeonhole them and they could play anywhere, and that was great. I think you know, I didn't, I wasn't a Poison hater. I didn't hate Poison. I thought they had some great songs, but I wasn't like a strip metal glam dude. Yeah. But but you know, uh, you wanted a good version of rock and roll. Guns and Roses came out. I was like, wow, these guys are really good. I mean, I it, it got dumb, and they were. They weren't like all that they were supposed to be, but they did make a great rock and roll record. It's undeniable. And they changed kind of the fate. Just like just like Nirvana when Nirvana came out. There's a bunch of indie bands that I loved. A lot of them. Some of them were kind of better than Nirvana and I, I you know, like Lou Barlow and Sebado and things like that. And but not better, but just, you know, deserved to be big. But the Crows, they just were like, like I said, the last real rock and roll band. You could fit them in there. They could open for those glam rock bands at the time which i love glam music but the 80s glam is a different kind of glam yeah. than the 70s glam but that's what 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 struck me about what you were saying was when they did that tour with the oasis like i love a lot of english music we were i was in england in 95 and uh we were with our band further doing a peel session and a tour and a lot of the brit pop to me was really like like the early blur stuff it was really generic i wasn't I wasn't a big fan, but Oasis came and gave that like great version of it. Just like the crows came and gave a great version Mm -hmm. of rock and roll of like the stones that, that some of these other bands were trying to do. Poison was, was not doing the Rolling Stones. They were doing, you know, Van Halen watered down, but, but like, you know, the crows were the real thing. I mean, shit, just like, there's two things I can When I say the real thing, I mean, is one is when we went to open for them, which is pretty crazy. Beachwood Sparks was, especially in 2000, was as frail and fragile and small sounding as you could get. The dead sounded like Metallica next to us. Hmm. But uh, watching them do their sound check for the first time, Fargo, North Dakota, and just (laughs) the sound and going like, whoa, that's fucking real rock and roll. That's crazy. Just one chord with Rich. And the other thing is when I, some of the little side bands that I've done, well, not some of them, but the one side band I've done with Chris, the Los Hermanos Cosmico thing, being on stage with a guy or a, or a person who, who can really, really sing rock and roll, you feel like it's real, you know, you don't know what it is, but you feel like it's real. So that's probably why they have podcasts dedicated to them. They check the boxes of real rock and roll.
2: So you mean to tell me Rich Robinson was loud? <laughs> yeah. I uh, I went and saw them <laughs> at a at a music festival in Florida and uh, it was a four-day festival like Jason Isbell headlined one night and mofros re- really some really good bands but it was so windy it was right by the beach that the sound was just getting it was getting lost and uh and this lady next to me she goes well it's going to be windy tomorrow night we're not going to be able to hear the black crows I said ma'am let me tell you what rich Robinson could cut through a category five hurricane we're gonna be okay <laughs> <laughs> um, and 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 sure enough, we were up on the rail and it was just absolutely deafening. But you you obviously went on tour with them and and Neil Casal had joined the band at that time. Tell us a little bit. Oh. Tell us a little bit about Neil as a person. We all know he's a great guitar player and, and by all yeah. accounts, he was a great person. But just give us a little something about him as a person.
3: It's a heart of gold, you know, I mean, I can't really. Uh, it's so funny. We're talking about this Black Crow stuff and. If the listener out there or the viewer wants to really, you know, follow this this trail, you know, here's how here's what I can say about Neil. Chris loved the Beachwood Sparks. He came to see us. He wrote us an email. He told us how well his his tour manager wrote us an email, but we're like, whoa, this guy really digs us, shows up. Not only does he hang us to the show. He takes us out to his favorite uh, bar where he cl- uh, runs the, you know what I mean? Like in New York where it was after hours and we could eat and drink anything we wanted and get super stoned and stuff. And then he invited us over to his house to listen to music and watch some basketball, took us out to lunch, treated us like, and we were dicks, you know, we weren't even like super nice. Like, you know, we were just like whatever. But when we, when he invited us on tour and we brought Neil with us, look what happened after. You know, not only was Neil in the Black Crows for one day, he was, the CRB was Chris and Neil and Adam, but I mean, it's really Chris and Neil. Um, I don't want to disrespect anybody at all, but but I mean, I just the silence of what you don't hear talking, Chris talking about after Neil's, that speaks volumes about what their friendship and their brotherhood was like as songwriters. And when you open up to a person and it's not like oh it goes to d and then a when you like sing your heart out and you put yourself in that most vulnerable position of of singing the next thing that comes into your heart and telling the next person who could either like laugh at you or or dismiss you very quickly they had that you know and 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 chris has a brother in rich but but they were that's how I just think that speaks to what kind of person Neil was is, you know, still, uh, I know he's not here, but his, uh, his, (laughs) he just, that fucking guy won't go away.
2: I know he was so prolific with his songwriting. And then obviously he was in CRB and I was lucky enough to see the very last show he played with Ron Adams. And it was one of the best concerts I've ever seen in my life. I was like second row dead center in front of him. And, I love Ryan Adams. Now he needs an editor. A lot of times he puts out a lot of stuff that you probably shouldn't put out, but the core of it is good, but he elevated that band to another level. Almost turned them in somewhat to a jam band because Ryan had gotten real big into the dead at that time. Yeah. And you know, songs like good night, Rose and cold roses and stuff like that. Neil just was like the thing that took it from good to really good. You know, him his playing with the CRB. I, and I don't not I don't want to make anybody mad out there, but because I, I know like when you talk about the Grateful Dead, people get kind of you know uptight one way or the other, but it had very much a Jerry Garcia vibe to it.
3: It did. And uh, you know, it's funny because there's two things that you said. One is the thing about Neil with Ryan, and you saw this last show, that must have been amazing. The if if somebody, you know, Neil has a ton of solo records out. I think the tribute album that the foundation did was done so well, and it proved how great of a songwriter Neil was. It also proved that even though he had Jim Scott and things like that, Neil always confided in me that he never made the record he wanted to make. He never fully expressed himself solo the way he wanted to. That's what curation was supposed to be. Neil Casal was the first artist offered a contract, offered money, offered everything unfortunately he wasn't didn't stay around to, to do it but uh but ryan would do neil's songs this is a guy that writes a song a day yeah and wants to and obviously has a big ego and and i've got my own stories about him and and it, ego isn't the right word but he, he you know he's wrapped up in himself. who wouldn't be whatever you know you'd pay for that when you when you act like that but um but he would do neil's songs and let neil sing along yeah. with him and really and that that that's uh that speaks to how great Neil was. The the photography book that you know Neil was a photographer. He took that, he made that he, you know, Ryan let him publish that, that whole behind mm-hmm. the scenes thing. And um I mean, I just I love Neil dearly, but I uh I never got to see him with Ryan, but I did hear their version of Freeway to the Canyon, which is my favorite Neil Casal song. And uh the other thing I was gonna say was um just to kind of like bring it back to the crows is before the crb you know neil called me and said i'm in i'm in the crows i'm in the black crows i got the gig and i was like great um uh, and then he wasn't but then he was in further with you know phil and bob mm-hmm. and every and you know he could have been the john mayer in dead and co and uh honestly he was he was considered if he would have pursued it he could have I don't care what anybody says out there. He was, you know, on their radar. He watched the Greek theater stuff on YouTube of him playing across Mm -hmm. the universe, and and uh, you know he they Neil was he was channeling Jerry somehow. When I saw the CRB at the Great American Music Hall, and then they brought out like Wolf or Tiger or fucking alligator or whatever it is, you know, wombat. One of Jerry's guitars for. For an only Neil to play during one song, they bring it out like it's the like it's the Raiders (laughs) Lost Dark Holy Grail thing. Right. And he plays it and he just we all just like he just levitated the room. So Neil's a great guy. This is a Black Crows podcast. That's Chris. You know, that's Chris saying Neil is Neil needs to be heard and I'm going to make him heard, you know. He's done that with a lot of bands, Chris Robinson. He I you're you're so huge. So you know you, you, you're huge into the crows. So you you go on Instagram, go on Facebook, and there's just like the haters, they love Chris. They love him, they love the crow's music, but they they think they know him and they really paint him out to be some sort of like like dismissive mean guy that he all he does is help other bands and other people that's all i've ever seen him do so i just i've never seen that side of him of uh that that the people write about but i the other thing that struck me is um you are your your audience is you is a huge reflection of of who you are so all these grumpy people you know what i mean who are i can see why where they get it from because you know chris as nice as he is he's He's, he's definitely not vindictive or mean or anything like that. He's always really helpful, but he also is very opinionated and you know, you're either going to get some major silence from him or you're going to say like, you're going to hear the real, his real feelings about something.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I kind of feel bad for people that are in the limelight because like if I go to work and have a bad day, nobody really knows about it, but me. But if totally. you have people, if you have people watching your every move and you have a bad day, that's your thing. And people, make a big deal out of it i only met him once it was at a meet and greet he could not have been nicer i got a chest bump from him by the way uh (laughs) and this was like this is before we started the podcast and he just could not have been nicer and we talked about um the crb put out a limited edition record store day box set and he i didn't know he designed it but he designed the box to look like an analog uh tape box like you would see in the studio and so I just said, Hey, who designed that? It, it's really cool. And his eyes lit up and he goes, Oh man, you, you figured it out. It was me. And, you know, we sat there and, and talked about that, you know, so my, my memories with him are, are super cool, super chill. We had a good five minutes together, but yeah, you, you're right. I mean, you know, he, people do think they know him and I'm real bit like, I, like you just talked about Ryan Adams. I mean, he obviously has his yeah. issues. I can, if people are like that, I can separate that. I mean, there have been some horrible human beings that have made some great music, you know? <laughs> so like, let, let's say that was true. That doesn't bother me because that, that has nothing to do. With what's put on the record it has nothing to do. With, I mean, when he wants to be, he's the best front man in rock and roll. He can take over a stage. He can take over a crowd. And, and so, you know, all that stuff's out there. It doesn't bother me. And, and like we said, if people have a bad experience with him or anybody that's what they think they are and that may you may have caught him in 30 uh, 30 seconds of a bad day you know and he goes anywhere he goes people are going to recognize him so i mean the chances the chances are you're going to catch somebody on a bad day that that doesn't bother me one bit man
3: um yeah i've really never seen it i mean shit i mean like there's a difference between like allegedly doing something, you know, illegal um, that's that can hurt somebody and then telling somebody you don't want them in your band anymore. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. Chris seems to get a lot of flack for doing what he wants to do and uh, I mean, I love that. So does Mick Jagger. So does, you know, they, they all everybody gets flack for what they do. I mean, I give my own favorite bands flack. I love Echo and the Bunnymen. Will Sargent is a total dick on Twitter, but I still listen to the music. I don't care. It's like what it's like I don't like the records are like, you know, I'm not going to run around playing, you know, playing judge Judy and canceling people (laughs) like, like, cause I already am like that anyway. I don't associate with, with assholes or people that hurt people. See, that's the thing about like Neil, Neil was like, Neil Neil Casal, I really liked your episode, by the way, about after his passing. That's the one I listened to oh, the very first time I listened to your um your podcast. And I really appreciated what you what the what you let the the Black Crows fans know about, about Neil. Um and uh because um it's hard because you know you could pick up a solo album, you could grab one of the acoustic ones that he made in somebody's basement one time and you'd be like, Oh, is that gonna define who who Neil is? question you started to ask was how did neil even get in the bed when we toured with the black crows but we obviously needed a little bit i i referred to beachwood as being very frail and and pretty quiet we needed to we needed to have another person when we knew we were going to tour with the Black Crows and playing in arenas and theaters and stuff. So we brought, we knew Neil. I had struck up a friendship with him and he was a fan of Beachwood Sparks, but um, we brought him along for his playing and singing. And uh, one of the things I would, how I met him was I've told this before um, a bunch of times is our, a mutual friend introduced us because he had heard the Beachwood Sparks first album and he liked it a lot. And um, because he was another like he was a Graham Parsons uh, freak, you know, and um, I, he said, how you doing? And I was having a bad day. And I was like, I, I I I just broke up with my girlfriend and she's taking my apartment and I'm pretty much homeless. I've been living in my van for two days with my cats. And he just said, "Got his keys out said, I'm going on tour. Take my apartment. It's over. And here's the address. Help yourself to anything. I'll be back in three weeks. That, that was that was how I basically that was within the first day or two of meeting him. So, the fact cool. that all this went along uh, the CRB, his our our time with the crows, our continued association with Chris and my my friendship. I mean, I, I just have a lot of respect for the guy, and I, I like him as a friend. He's super funny. My wife Kathleen and I just like always enjoy hanging out with him because he's you know you go to Dantana's with him and and just like you just constantly entertained you know he's super funny he listens to what you got going on he's he's interested in my music and what i do he uni boys one of the bands on curation he saw them next thing you know they were opening for the black crows in um in vegas yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah. that's right yeah
3: hammered satin same thing did a seven inch with them uni boys are one of my my kind of like pet pet projects and passion projects on the label they're like a, a young band who i who with Chris's help and other people when the Crows played um, their r- record release party for the 1972 live record, mm-hmm. it was, a, is it live or no, it's not live. It's, it's not live.
2: It's just a cover record. They did, yeah, but they so did it the, like the Troubadour. They did a, they the played whi- it. They,
3: yeah. No, they did it. At the whiskey. Whiskey. Sorry. Partying at the sunset marquee. We, we ran into a uh, Billy Joe Armstrong. We didn't Chris did because he's friends with him uh, the, from green day. I tried to strike up a conversation with him. He just, you know, shined me. He had had an Empire shirt on, a band that I loved uh, from 1981 or 1980, probably. And uh, he just didn't respond to me. But then when Chris introduced the Uni Boys to him, he's like, oh, my God, you guys are my fucking favorite band. And he got really excited. And, you know, Chris doing that. Just like that kind of stuff, just means the world. And Chris also is producing and released a record by another curation artist, Billy Tibbles, yeah. um, who was friends with the Uni Boys. And Chris is—he's on the second record. I was just at the studio the other day. He's producing the second EP. He brought in a bunch of Marshalls and guitars from the Black Crows. Um, you know, uh, I shouldn't be giving this away, but it was pretty cool. But he's like, they're gonna—we're gonna make this uh, record a little more rock. Um, I, I, you mentioned that the Troubadour show. I will say, I don't know if this isn't, uh, this is just me going off. You're not even asking a question, but I wanted to tell this story because this is like my experience with the Crows. I saw them on MTV and heard them on the radio. You couldn't get away from it. We were on Geffen Records with a band called Shadowland in 1988, 89. We got an advanced cassette. Our drummer really, really liked it. He goes, this song She Talks to Angels is going to be a hit because they were on Deaf American, which was Mm -hmm. distributed by Geffen. So I was well aware of them and I watched their rise from the little clubs in LA to like, you know, huge, but I never saw them live. Then we toured with them in 2001. And I saw them a bunch of times after that, when they made that shift after Chris got into the dead and they started like the horde tour and things like that, you know, and they got a little more jammy. So when the Troubadour show came along, I had never seen all those times that, I played three months of shows with the Crows and seen them a bunch. I never saw them play Jealous again one time. Maybe not even She Talks to Angels. Definitely not twice as hard. Anyway, when, that, when they came out and they played the Rockin' Crows, it was just like pff, everybody's hair blew back. The original excitement from the early 90s, when they, it was all there. And it was all apparent why it was there. And they're still on the road now getting ready to tour Therosmith. It's pretty crazy. I I, I mean, I, I guess if you live long enough to see things, it's pretty rad. And that was just a rad moment for me just to go like and the shows that I've seen the forum. Uh, we saw them at the forum on this uh, Shake Your Money Maker tour and uh, Santa Barbara Bowl. Those shows, it's pretty it, it's a pretty different. You know what I mean?
2: When they open a show with twice as hard and Rich hits those first couple of chords, that's rock and roll. It's just it's so not loud. What they
3: did back in the in two thousand and one when they were meandering into it and they were doing like long versions of Morning Song and and uh, and they weren't getting along. You know, they had songs like Soul Singing out and stuff. It wasn't you know it it wasn't, and then they went into you know the they got really acoustic when they were doing the stuff uh, before the frost.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The War Paint before the Frost, when they had Luther Dickinson in there, took a little bit more of an Americana turn. It's, it's interesting. You can listen to those albums. And you can tell the songs Chris wrote and the songs Rich wrote um, <laughs> very, very, very easily. All right. So I was going to ask you about this. You may have just okay. answered it. I, I, I may have picked up between the lines what you said. There was a picture recently posted on Instagram with Chris at the studio. Was that him producing the the record you were talking about or is he doing oh, something with no, Beachwood Sparks? no,
3: that's that's the yeah, I guess this is kind of good breaking news for people who don't follow me on Instagram, but um so Beachwood Sparks hasn't made an album since our final album for Sub Pop in like 2010, 2011, um called The Tarnished Gold we haven't even been really active as a band. We we toured a couple shows for that album in 2012. But we, we got through having curation records and just through pure happenstance or circumstance or whatever, a life, we, we decided we'd make a new album. And Chris, I talked about uh, having dinner at, at Dan Tana's with Chris. It's There's nothing better. There's nothing more rock and roll, and nothing more LA than going to like the Eagles' favorite place and having dinner with Chris and him saying, "What's up with the Beachwood Sparks?" and I go, "I don't know." He goes, "I go, we're thinking about making a new record." He goes, "I know how to make the ultimate Beachwood Sparks record." That's his and I said, "Oh yeah." And I so I called the band and I said, uh or I don't know, maybe they called me and said, "We should do a record." And I said, "You want to have Chris produce it?" because we needed to do something different. We've already done it ourselves. I've mixed the records. I've we've had like, you know, Tom Monaghan, it's funny, Tom Monahan, who who worked a lot with, um, who worked on a Neil Casal record and worked with Chris Robinson after, you know, we worked with him, produced our last record. But uh, anyway, so we were in that studio and Chris is producing the new Beachwood Sparks album. And we tracked it all and it sounds really fucking good. And it was an amazing experience. I wish I had an hour to talk about it because we have never let ourselves be produced before. And mm-hmm. Chris isn't. He's not a producer like, a, you know. Mm, I wonder if you should do this. He, if he feels something, th- Chris walking into the room while Beachwood Sparks is working out a a, a a song and going, no, 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 take that chord out, or you should play it. The drummer should play congas, just like just dis- chaos, just like and then us following him, not going like no, not being so precious about the music, knowing that he's a fan. Knowing that's the main thing, why we why we followed him through the, the chaos, but also just to make it easy. Uh, so Okay, I'll just speak for one of the songs that I was writing. Do the intro, cut the intro in half. It's too long. No problem. Don't even start down the road of, well, if we make it longer, we have more, you know what I mean? You're just already, you're ruining it. You know, you're not staying in the moment, you know, which is like, I hope what this conversation is, and I hope what... I know it's not by the book Q&A but it's like in the moment is is um is where I like to stay and we just stayed in the moment with him and uh it's not going to help us sell any more records hopefully the fans who saw us like you and uh the people who kind of grow with the crows or saw beachwood I've talked to a lot of people who saw Beachwood Sparks open for the Crows and honestly say I can't remember you guys I don't remember what you did. I don't remember what you sounded like, but then I listened and I became a fan and, uh, having Chris produce this album is just like a family thing for us. And it's just really fun. And plus he's, you know, he's, he's got his, um, he's, you know, the, he's got his mixing friend who is in England who mixes the crows records and, and mixed Billy's records and works with Oasis and stuff. And, uh, We wanted to have our record mixed by somebody other than us. We just is that Paul Stacey? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's not mixing it yet, but he's going to mix it. So I don't Mm -hmm. know. Um, We have to finish. We have two more days of tracking, and the studio is right down the street from my house. And it's been really fun to 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 either record with Chris for that week, or to go in and pop in while he's recording Billy Tibbles, because Chris is the one who um, I went to breakfast with Chris and Camille a place in Highland Park called Kitchen Mouse. And they said, hey, we're going to stop by my friend's studio. And I just wanted to get back home here to go to work, pack orders, you know, do the curation thing that I do at the house. And um, I went to the studio and I said, oh, the studio might be cool. Maybe I could put one of the curation bands in here. And it's funny how life is, because three months later, Beachwood Sparks was back together, a band that hasn't recorded. Chris was producing and it was it all felt supernatural supernatural both meanings (laughs) like very it felt organic and natural but it also felt like super cosmic and weird because we don't we're not a band you know we are a band and we have a history and we played a lot but it's been a while since we kind of revisited this kind of you know recording and you know and uh and writing
2: and and, uh so when do you think that album is going to be out
3: well i guess so let's fig since I'm the record label, it's pretty fucking easy. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I want it to be done as soon as possible. So we go back in the studio uh, at the beginning of the month, the second week of August, we are back in the studio for two more days. And that'll be the final days of tracking. Get it over to Paul. This is, this is like me planning this out right here at my desk. I can show you, um, give it to um, Paul to mix, have it come back while he's doing that. We could get artwork and stuff together. We could have, um, I mean, we're a big vinyl label, curation is, and um, I'm not so hip on all the digital stuff, but I know it's a big, but we could actually have vinyl by Christmas if we finish it by September 1st. And we could actually have a Christmas, it probably couldn't be in stores by then, but we could, we could have it out on streaming, have some singles out, have people pre-ordering by, you know, late October, early November, have a single or two out. So- I could see it, I could see it being a Christmas release, and you know, I could see people at the label say, no, that's way too busy around Christmas. You'll get buried and we'll be like, No way. We want to be the special thing that comes out around Christmas. Maybe somebody will buy it for their friend.
2: As we kind of wind this up, give us a couple of bands or artists on curation that we should uh take a listen to because people will hear this and and go and listen to them.
3: Well, I'll just list them all. I mean, the the my fit. My favorite record is the one that I'm working on at the the time. So I mentioned Uni Boys, and Uni Boys have a brand new album. By the time this comes out, it'll probably be up for pre-order because it's all done, and the first single's coming out August 4th, and it's called Buy This Now. And if you like rock and roll, if you like anything from Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers and the Ramones, but if you're really into 70s obscure power pop from America, and the uk and all over the world then you'll love uni boys jody Stevens from big star is um he's jody was the drummer of big star and um he's the sole surviving member he has a band with luther russell called those pretty wrongs and we have an album out called holiday camp um they're on tour in australia uh for august and they'll be in the uk in september that's that's one of the things that i'm really proud of because i was a fan of their first two albums, especially their second album, Zed for Zulu, then their label folded. And I reached out with curation and said, hey, can I reissue that since it's no longer in print? And not only did they say yes, and we got to put that out, but um, we ended up doing a brand new album that they recorded at Ardent in Memphis. The other ones I can just look over here right now. The latest, Freeman D Young is an artist from Idaho. Who's he's a pedal steel player, but he's also a guitar player. He made a solo album. His friend Eric Silverman has a record called "Stay In It." That Adam McDougal from the CRB and the Crows actually plays synthesizer on. Um, we have two albums by the Georgia band, the Trip Tides. They're now they're now in LA. Um, Farmer Dave and the Wizards of the West. is uh, Farmer Dave was a member of Beachwood Sparks, and kind of like Gospel Beaches, um, all the side projects from Beachwood Sparks I try to um, let curation be a home for. You know, Gospel Beach was actually a band started by Neil Casal, Tom Sanford, and myself. Neil only lasted through the recording of the first album. Then he rejoined and recorded our uh, our last album. We have a new studio album that's almost done. It's coming out on curation soon. By the time this comes out, it'll probably be announced. Um, we have a new single out. Um, but that's the music I do with my partner, Johnny Neiman. But Neil had joined for our, our album, Let It Burn. And that was the one of the last things he recorded on um, before he took his life. So that's a special record. Um, Trevor Bell Jimenez. I mean, we have such a small roster, I can really name them all, but um, it's really the smaller things on the label that I hope people will kind of look for. And um, Sean Thompson's Weird Ears, a band from Nashville. Um, Of course, Pacific Range is the band that Chris really, uh, they broke up, but uh, we have a solo album from their their keyboard player, Stuart Forgey. And um, I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out, but that's that's a, that's the rundown
2: when the new Beachwood sparks album comes out we'll buy a couple of copies and give them away on the on the pod should we
3: put a sticker on it saying pr- produced by chris robinson from the black crows
2: i think you should
3: yeah we did that for the new uni boys album because they recorded it in new york with uh brian and michael diadario from the lemon twigs who have their own nice little scene going on and have worked with a bunch of people from todd rungren to to foxygen and um I ended up I was I was debating whether or not to put the sticker on it but like when I'm in the record store I want to know like you know what it is like this is the Freeman DeYoung Young album so you know we put a little hype type as it is and you know like I think on um, Eric Silverman's album we put featuring uh, Adam McDougal from Circles Around the Sun and uh, and this Chris Robinson Brotherhood so maybe we'll We'll, we'll, we'll use Chris's name to, to help Beachwood sell a couple records. But uh, I think Chris has produced some great records over the years, things that people don't even know about.
2: Like you said, he's a walking musical encyclopedia. And I know during COVID, he was doing some like DJing stints or something like that on online. And like, yeah. we had a little group text and people were scribbling down. Oh, I've never heard of this guy. I need to go listen to him. Never heard of this person, you know, and I'm like, how does he? I was like, he gets I've mad thought-
3: at me. He asked me to DJ for the green leaf, green leaf rustlers. That's a hard one to say. Um, and I was playing like, you know, Jackson Brown, somebody's baby. I was playing like the hits. I wasn't playing obscure stuff. I mean, I that's the thing about like, um, you know, Chris people, I guess obscure music, people equate that with making you cool. I don't personally, I, I, I just think you're a big, nerd if all you do is think you're cool because you like these obscure things that nobody else likes or knows it just to me it's it's just it's it's so tiresome but but that being said if you are knowledgeable and you really do pursue what what it is and you listen and you know about it not just so you can bring it up at a party but if it's a love of yours you know i'm I'm well I'm I'm really into that. I mean I've had I had an older brother who was I was so lucky to have gotten so many of my favorites from and he was he was like that. But um you know Chris is like that and people don't really know because he's such a like like, you know, he's known for being a rock and roll dude. But like when you're sitting around at his house and he's playing like Let's Active or, or Love and Rockets or just things that you wouldn't like expect um, him to play. You think he's just going to bore you with like Ronnie Lane, just going down Ronnie Lane solo albums. And you know what I mean? Like uh, Steve Marriott, you know, and things like that. It's like um, it's so, it's so funny. Chris is blessed with that voice, that that incredible Incredible voice. And I think it's where the Black Crows fans start and come from. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I was I was listening to like anytime you want to get your get your clean and you want to get something moving, you you put on that live version of sting me or something like that. And you can really like you can really get get your cells moving. But but then if you start reading like the books or reading online about them making the later albums, I asked Chris about, I always talk to him about especially because he's producing other records. I asked him what a lot of stories about how they made the first two records and how much George, what his input was, you know, Mm -hmm. and he listened to them. So when Chris is producing a band, which he's produced a bunch of bands and some that I won't even mention, and the fucking people won't listen to him and they think they know everything, it drives me crazy because He would never change a band's sound. He would never say like, "Okay, I'm going to produce Billy Tibbles and Billy's not going to be this this glam rock uh, rock. He's not Billy's not going to be who Billy Tibbles is. I'm going to make him into, you know, James Taylor or something. He, He would never do that. He's only out to accentuate the best of. Of what you got going on so when he makes a suggestion that's what it is and that's what i got that's what i gathered that he did with george to and the you know when he that was kind of their main producer you know what i mean i know they made a new album which i've heard some of it uh i i heard the single it's fucking amazing it's like you think that the black crows could come up with you know because they've made so many records and i i won't say anything else but i've heard it and it's classic Crows. You know what I mean? And they worked with a producer. And I asked Chris, how much did you listen to him? And he goes, enough, whatever was needed. And, and and that to me, after all these years, said so much about rock and roll, not just about Chris Robinson and the Black Crows, but just about how rock and roll works, you know? And when you when you unlock that key, whether you get it early when you're tw- 19 or 20, like they got it, or you get it when you're 59, like I'm just learning about it it's it's magic when that happens you know
2: well i really appreciate you taking some time out I, I this was fun just to sit and talk music and be two music nerds uh bouncing stuff off one another um, we could
3: go all night i mean i just i appreciate it too
2: all right so you you you've heard some of our podcasts. the person that's on always tells us a song to play out can be anything something off curation records beachwood sparks album or some obscure thing we've never heard of it's all up to you. You're the DJ. Well, Gospel
3: Beach has a brand new single out. I don't want to be toot my own horn, and I would say to play the song. I'll close my eyes, which is the new single. But when we did a, a single, a standalone single last year by Gospel Beach called "It's Too Late," mm-hmm. and I went to see the Black Crows at the Forum. Spend and a few other people, the drummer, they said that Chris always gets everybody's attention and cranks this song up on the tour bus and that it was really good and behind chris's back they told me how much chris liked this song it's too late so if you wanted to play some of my music for people to know what's up and it is on curation you could play gospel beach it's too late
2: curation records go follow them uh check out these new bands buy some merch buy some vinyl let's uh let's let at least somebody make some money in the record industry these days so hey uh,
3: i just we just want to eat
2: yeah yeah. As always, we'll throw it to our producer, Jason. Stay tall,
0: everyone. Time doesn't make things better all the time. Sometimes it's just too late. But you can go to bed and have a sweet dream. And wake up with a clean slate. Well, I was holding on so tight.